Yeah, we go. All right, man. We live and direct. Awesome, man. I got a special guest for you guys today. Uh, it's Aaron, man, with the uh, No Bullshit Podcast. We're talking trucking. Super excited. Very privileged that he's going to come drop some gems on us today. Um, so we're going to get right into it, guys. Here we go. If you wouldn't mind, introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and what you got going on real quick, man, and we'll jump into it. So excited. Yes, sir, man. Thanks for having me. So I'm Joe Gipp. I go by the Heavy Hall Giant. Um, been in the industry for quite a few years, uh, 22, pushing 23 years. Um, I do a little bit of everything, man, from power only, flatbed, step deck, RGN. I run beams, and uh, I like oversized projects, so I'm always open to those. Um, run a fleet of 10 trucks right now, and yeah, happy awesome. to be here. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, thank you. So you, if you guys didn't catch that, he said 20-plus years in the game. And uh, just so we can get a quick uh, little synopsis, I'm going to um, – Share my screen real quick so we can see one of his trucks just to kind of see what uh what we're talking about here. So this is an example, okay, of what he's got going on. And so you can see, man, that, how many is that? That's 11 total from front to back, right? So yeah, 11 you axles. Got, you got the, uh, the, 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 the truck with the drop axle or the three axle, four axle truck, however you want to call it. And then you got the Jeep back here, right? And then you got the trailer itself. And then you got the tag axle, right? Is that what you call it, the backside? Uh, call it Stinger. A stinger. Yes, okay. Yes, sir. All right. So as you can see, you know, he uh he ain't playing around with it, man. It's uh it's it, you in there doing some big things, man. That's awesome. And you also said you got multiple trucks, which I didn't know till we got to talking here a little bit ago. Um, but you're doing big things, man. And like the project you just did, we're gonna talk about. Um, but let's get into you, man. Let's get into who you are a little bit real quick and kind of what what made the light bulb go off and say how I'm gonna pick trucking as a career, because it's not a uh a career that everybody picks and they definitely don't take it to the, uh, the, the mountains and peaks that you've taken it to. So can you share a little bit about your background and your journey uh, and what led to, you know, kind of how you got to where you are now uh, briefly? Yeah. So um, growing up in trucking, my dad had trucks. Um, actually he did it before I was even born. Right. And I'm the youngest, I'm the youngest of five in total of uh, one brother, three sisters, and then myself. Um, so you know, growing up in the trucking industry, um, I kind of think it was, I guess, destined for me to do it, you know, so um, took a liking into it. I always did the mechanic work with my dad and um, it made it easier for me. So once I got older, man, I, I started working on the river, like straight out of high school, got tired of that. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do trucking, man. I, you know, I just felt like it was for me. It was in my bloodline. Um, I had drove the trucks all my life, moving them around the yard. We wash them, pull them up, bag them up, stuff like that. So, yeah, it definitely made it easy for me to jump right into it. And, uh, you know, hey, here I am. So what inspires you to pursue this particular field, though? Like, you know, and, and not just, you know, the, the, the specialized hauling, but, uh, you know, what was the light bulb that was, so you just basically was like, man, this, this, this route that I'm going down where, you know, when you talk about on the river, you, the Louisiana out there, you talking about on the river, right? The big river. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I'm assuming working barges, boats, something like that. So you mm -hmm. was just like, this ain't going to work out for me. It's not what I want for my life. And then you went, to, you just, just bet was trucking or you went, had some other middle ground, something else. Um, yeah, no. So straight off the river, I jumped right into trucking, man. You know, I, I, I was one of those uh, people who, who learned a lot from my dad and I felt like I knew everything at some point, you know, so I ain't really want to hear much of nothing. So I, I tried to choose my own pad, man. We're going on the river. And then after being out there, I was like, you know what, man, I'm tripping, man. I'm out here working my tail off out here in this heat, you know, and I was like, you know what, let me, let me, let me get back to what I know. So I called my dad up and said, dad, you know, I'm coming drive in two weeks. I had my license. And I was ready to roll. Um, at that time, my dad was kind of winding down from trucking. 
And uh, he had a company that he would just work part-time for at the time, um, just helping them out whenever they call him in need, if they drive it and show up. Well, what happened was um, that driver, my dad ended up driving for them, I want to say maybe like consistently for like two or three months. And then I came along with my license and uh, they gave me the job, man. So I was, I was, I got my license at 19. Um, my 20th birthday had flipped over. They hired me and the rest is history, man. I, I ran for them and, and then eventually I transitioned to on my own. Okay. So that was, that was pulling what, like a drive-in or, or container or something or in the ports or what was that? So I started in, in uh dump truck. Okay. So you started the in industry, the yeah, I grew up in dump trucks as well. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So you went from dump trucks and then, uh, how did it, so you, at what point did it be like, I'm gonna go OTR, the dump truck thing slowed up, the, the money wasn't there, you got recruited or how did, how did it end up where you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go do some like OTR or, you know, drive in or some other type of, of, uh, trucking. Yeah. So, um, what happened was like, I was telling my dad when I did transition, I said that, you know, um, y'all were building everything, you know, when we were growing up, man, in New Orleans, everything was built by the time I came along. So we talk in 2000, 2001, you know, I'm jumping in the game at, uh, specifically at 2001, I, I get my license. And then um, 2002 rolled around and it's like everything's slowing down. The money is a little more scarce. Um, most of the larger companies have monopolized the industry. So I'm like, you know what, I, I need to do something different. I'm starting a family. So um, I decided to go over the road and that's when I reached out to Snyder. Um, they gave me a hard time at first. And then, you know, afterwards, um, they, one of the recruiters actually called me back and said, hey, we seen you, you know, started the process, but you didn't complete it. We went through some negotiations. They agreed to my terms. Of course, I had to agree to their terms. And we found a happy medium. And uh, yeah, then I went with Snyder. And that's why I got my first over the road experience. Okay. So how long did you do that over the road stuff before you decided to uh, uh, whether change course or, or start your own authority? I know eventually, I don't know if that's a new thing or, you know, if you did the OTR thing, working for the people for a while or what? No, man, I bounced around a lot. I wanted to try everything from chemicals to flatbed to the you know, LTL freight. I did a little bit of everything because I wanted to know what part of the industry that would, you know, that would catch me and and, and, and make me commit. So um, the one company that I have to always give praise to is Landstar. Um, 2005, I worked with them. I did OTR and... Um, uh, working with them, it taught me about working with brokers because they train you to negotiate your own loads with their brokers, their in-house brokers. So I did that, and that's when I learned about flatbeds. I had did flatbed before, but that's when I learned the true ins and outs of it. And that's when I learned about heavy haul initially. And, um, yeah, so then from there, 2007, um, well, 2005, Katrina hit, so that kind of delayed everything. But then past, uh, fast forward to 2007, that's when I started my own authority in 2007 initially. Okay, man. So, so you've been in even having your own authority game for a grip, man. That's 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 incredible, man. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I, I appreciate you coming on here and dropping these gems. Not everybody, we were just talking about this off camera is that you know, even me being in it 10 years, being in it 20 years, and then getting to the level you're at, there ain't many people independently that have done that. There's a lot of 20 you know, year driver veterans, drivers working for people, but not everybody jumps out and is resourceful, wants to start their own company, and then actually succeeds when, like I said. We were talking about the, the failure rate being 89% in the first year for independent authorities, right? So yeah. um, could you describe a significant challenge, uh, you know, that you really, like a memorable, significant significant challenge you had to overcome in the early days that uh, that led to where you are here, that that one, you're like, oh, I'm sure there's many, like I have many, mm -hmm. you have probably a laundry list of them, but can you, <laughs> like that one thing that like, this is going to put me out of business, I'm screwed, but you overcame yeah. it. 
So working with um, own operators at the time, 2014, I, I kind of ushered my first one in. Um, I was sampling that, just kind of seeing how it works um, to bring someone else on. So I backed away, came back to it. And then um, I want to say around 17 or 18, um, my safety scores jumped. I'm talking about I had a 50-50 safety score, which means um, you got 10 inspections, five of them are bad, right? And, of course, mine weren't those specific numbers. I think it was I was like two and four at the time. Right. And um, I had a, I had an audit, and I had kind of made some adjustments at the time because I knew the audit was coming. It wasn't my first. Um, but with that being said, I um, I, um, I had to make an adjustment. I let a few people go. And, and then around that time is when I decided, you know what, let's go heavy haul. Let's get into a trailer that they need me more than I need them. Because at that point, man, I would call. I was calling people and they were hanging up in my face like, nah, man, we're not giving you our loads. Because when your safety scores jump like that, you have to um, you have to do something to rectify it quickly. So what I did was um, I went out. I let everybody go that I had. I went out and I did a lot of um, inspections. I was insisting inspections so that they would give me the inspections I need to overcome the bad numbers. And then once I got about six inspections, that allowed me to drop the numbers from being 50-50 to being around 30%. National average, I want to say, is around 23%. Right. So I was getting closer to that. And then when I got the numbers below that, man. But at that time, that was my first time going through that. And the information wasn't readily available like it is now. You know, um, people weren't handing out information. They weren't selling it back then either. So it's like, you know, I had to kind of figure out a way to work through that challenge. And what I decided was I need better inspections and I need to make sure that I eliminate any problems. So when I went in there to do the uh, the audit, the guy, you know, and I'm not going to say names, but they asked me, they say, listen, in order for me to, to let you go and give you a chance to progress, he said, what are you going to do? to make sure this doesn't ever happen again. At that time, my audit was considered a 365 day audit. They wanted to look back 365 days from that day because that's when the biggest problem started. And um, so eventually what I did was I said, listen, anybody with an out of service, I'm shutting it down. One of my trucks had one uh, and the other own operators, they had it too. So I shut everything down. I had just brought a new truck. And then um, from now went on because I bought that truck in 2018, the Peterbilt I have. So I bought that truck and I moved on. And then from there, I grew my company back and here I am. Awesome, man. That that's a testimonial right there that not everybody has. I mean, I've been through multiple audits um, and, and just the same situation. You know what I mean? In the early days, we had window 10 tickets. We had fire. I mean, the silly stuff you don't think about. And, and you went from the driver level. I never worked for anybody to to get the, the, the training or the information. So mine went really like to 80 percent you know, in the first year in my first company because the fire extinguishers not being mounted, we would buy them for the trucks. Guys would just throw them in there and set them in there, you know, not having safety triangles, just a lot of stupid stuff that would, I mean, I think we had one year, 15 window tent tickets, you know? So wow. it was just, it was like, you know, and I didn't, I was like, who cares? You know, I didn't know nothing about trucking or safety score. I didn't know what a safety score was when I started my company. I had no clue. When we did our first new entry audit, they don't really, they didn't explain that to me in Arkansas. So I had the same thing. And then it like, you call up one day and they're like, oh, your safety score is too high. We can't work with you. And you're like, what the hell is a safety score? <laughs> right. I mean, that's how I found out. Like, we're like six months into this. And I'm like, what the F is a safety score? You know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a that's an awesome testimonial, man. Hey, um, look, look, I'm sure you want to tell them, find time to tell me that now <laughs> about a <yeah>. safety score. <laughs> right. Right. So it uh, it's just, you know, it is what it is. But anyway, um, what are some key lessons that you really learned through your professional journey? Um, that you think will benefit the listeners. That was one of them, obviously. So, I mean, if I, had, I I usually had the little machine. I throw some gunshots in there, some ding dings. But man, the the 
that those are huge lessons right there. But what's one more that you could give the listeners just as like a little tidbit? So for me, um, at this point in my career, I like to plan one to two years in advance. Um, what that allowed me to do is to move through things flawlessly. And then I just tweak the plan as needed based on what's happening. So in other words, I may have made plans, plans to add, say, five trucks, go out and buy five trucks, right? Well, that is the plan. But um, between now and then, it may be something that happened. I mean, it, it, politics alone will change the whole culture. Who's in office? Who's doing this locally and and you know uh, nationally as well? So what happens is sometimes you have to change that plan, and you may say, okay, well instead of buying five trucks, I'll buy five trailers, kind of like what you were talking about, and lease them out. Or you may have to change course and say, you know what, I wanted to buy trucks and expand, but what I'll end up doing is buying a different low boy. So it's good to plan ahead. And then and then make adjustments as you go, because at least you have a plan in place to make those adjustments, too. Right. hundred percent. Couldn't agree with you more, man. Um, what, uh, what, what? So what's a big win, man, when you look back at your career? And I know this one's hard also because it could be all the way back to the day you got your CDL. I mean, that was a big win for me, man. The day we got our authority active, the day mm-hmm. I bought my first truck, the day, you know, when I first started, I actually enterprise, I, I rented a bunch of enterprise trucks, man. And I just kept getting mm-hmm. them and getting them kind of like the toe piglet way, a good friend of mine. But I just sat down one day and realized I ain't making no money. This shit don't work, right? Right. And, I, and, and so I, I remember the first day I bought my first truck, man. I, I went down there. You know, put the money down and, and signed away and drove. And I just thought I was the shit in this truck. And I thought, hey, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. We're going to take it from here. And then the motor blew up at 50,000 miles. A whole nother story, right? But what's a big win you look back on, a significant one, whether it be the day you bought the RGN, you got whatever it is, that you're like, man, you know, it started from the bottom, now we're here type of thing. Like you, like you took back and was just like, man, this, you know, this is real. We're really going to do this at a, at, a, at a big level or whatever. What's that big win for you? Yeah, I tell you, man, honestly, my biggest win is when credit started leading the way. You know, I did so much cash in the beginning, man. You couldn't tell me that I wasn't just going to buy the world up with cash. And then I realized, man, that credit is a powerful tool, you know. So when I first um, uh, gained access to credit, and I'm talking about business credit, not personal. When I first gained access to credit, man, and I was able to start making purchases, buying trucks, buying things. I was buying trucks out of Canada. Like I was doing everything and it, and it felt like, you know, I really felt like, you know what, I made it now. I, I have the tools. Um, so that was my biggest thing when I gained credit. Um, like I said, I started financing equipment, making purchases and doing things that I couldn't do because I was so old school with it. When my dad would buy a wreck truck or buy something that needed to be repaired and we would get out there and rebuild it. And I'm not gonna lie, it was a valuable lesson you know, changing transmissions and clutches and motors and all that stuff. But it's a whole nother ball game, man, where you can just walk in there and finance this stuff and it already runs good. It's already, you know, what it needs to be and you take off and run it with it. So I would say that was my most exciting moment, man, when I got I got credit and I was able to just go over there and buy what I wanted, uh, trucks, trailers, whatever. And uh, yeah, I mean, till this day, man, I, I value that credit like, like, like nothing else, man. It's a powerful yeah. tool. Yeah. It, hey, you, you, that is something you're not lying to. And that's another thing that uh, I tell my clients all the time. You can't do any business if you don't start mm-hmm. building some business credit right away. And you, there's credit yeah. counseling, credit, all, all kind of ways to learn how to do that. And everybody, and a lot of people that come up in the game think that your, your personal credit is what you have to leverage. Mm-hmm. And that won't get you very far. Your personal right. credit in business won't actually get you very far because when you get to a certain level, it's about what the business can do, what the business is making and, mm-hmm. and the credit that the business itself has built, which you know that by now. But one of my good friends who's a multimillionaire, uh, I mean, he can go in anywhere 
and buy anything and buy 10 of them on business credit because of how well he's paid his business bills and how long he's had that business credit established now. And it's been, you know, 10 years of, of just, you know, a huge amount of business credit. And it, like you said, it changes the game. It really makes things possible where you can walk in and get good interest rates and good leverage and, and buy equipment that you need when you go get a contract or whatever, you know? So you're hundred percent right yeah. there. Couldn't agree more. Um, what emerging trends do you see happening right now? And I know everybody's going to, you know, you might even lean back on the heavy haul thing because, you know, you, Wad, all these guys, you know, Benny's in it now. I did a bunch of stuff on YouTube. There's a lot of people doing it. C1, everybody. But what other emerging trends do you see in the industry right now uh, or, or coming? Um, so, honestly, I'm not even going to talk trucking on this question, right? Not not so far as a specific niche. Um I think it's, it's, it's becoming a clear line between major and minor. Um, I think that um, if, you, if you're jumping into trucking now, you're going to have to start planning different. It's not just buy a truck, um, get a trail and take off. A lot of the companies in between are suffering, like those mid-tier companies are suffering. And I think the majors are, are making sure that that happened by lowering the freight. If you think about it, freight used to be in, in sections and in tiers and, and a little guy like you said earlier dominated one i want to say 85 percent of the industry so far as the trucks on the road the major companies had to rely on the little guy okay right. now the major companies are, are drawing a clear line by saying we're either going to move the freight or we're going to hand the freight off but we will touch the freight right. okay and what they're doing is they're eliminating all competition that can be close to them so if you're not in a, in a percentile of a couple thousand trucks already and you're, and you're in that 100 truck range, I think what's happening is they're squeezing down on the prices. Because if you notice, the little guy is not falling. We're feeling the effects, but we're not falling at the same rate that all the companies in the mid-tier are falling. So I think uh, if you ask me about trends, I think the new trend is going to be a clear line divide between the majors and the minors, and everything in between is getting squished out. I, I could not have said that better. That is the most articulate answer that I've heard in a while. Because I'm telling you, strong will survive. You got to get the right knowledge, the right information, the right leverage. And, you know, we were talking about that a minute ago, that the negative narrative everybody's painting on the Internet about doom and gloom. I'm so tired of hearing it because just because there's so many companies that don't run a good business or don't have the right knowledge or aren't willing to learn, innovate and adapt. The rest of us is just we're out here slitting throats. It's too easy for us because we know that, hey, when, th when times get tough, we got to get lean. We got to do the right things, you know, and and, and, and we made the 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 plans to not over leverage, to not get in bad positions four times like this. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it sounds like you're definitely a man that makes those type of decisions. And I, I couldn't have said that any better, man. That's perfect. You're hundred percent. Right. And I think that, you know, it, after COVID it became a, 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 a independent market, right? Like you, we could name our price on the low boards Four dollars. Nah, I ain't taking it. I want four. I want $5 a mile. Well, yeah. Supply and demand, and that's in anything. I don't care if you're selling widgets, if 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 you got a landscaping company, you got whatever, you know, a, a, a fishing charter. It's supply and demand, right? So now it's a it's a it's a it's a customer market and a shipper market, right? So the brokers, the customers, and the shippers have the power, and there's there's a lot of capacity. So if you ain't a good negotiator, or if you have too much leverage, or your cost to run is too high, uh, and operate, I'm sorry for you, but it, that's just that's economics. You know, one-on-one, right. on one. like you said, but what really does suck and it does, it does bite all of us in the ass is that us at this level, we can't really compete because they're the ones out there. They, they have a, a control of the market, right? There's more of us as far as trucks on the road, like you said, but they're the ones out there that have the power to legislate. They're the ones out there going to the meetings. 
they're the one out there meeting with Walmart and, and these other companies and saying, you know, give us that hundred million dollar freight and then let us handle it from there. You know, we'll take care of the headaches. And then they're keeping all the rate. You know, we just did a load uh, that came down. We ended up going direct and, and cutting the broker out, but we had a, a 18 and a half wide load that originally paid 25 and we accepted it at 15 and then worked our way up. I found who the customer was and just cut it with a new broker. So we just cut them out, went straight to the top and got it for the 25, but they was trying to keep $10,000 and not do anything. You know what I mean? Right. On the load. And I mean, if we, if we would have really done that load at 15 and not for the 25, by the time we paid escorts and, and, and police escorts and permits and, and everything else, man, it, it, there ain't enough meat on the bone for the big, for the heavy haul guys, but they're, they're trying to do that. You know, they really are. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, big time. And so I think I think just like you, you you're you're setting yourself up right, putting the right stones in place to step on, and to to be set up right. And then from here on out, I'm the same way. I think like we were talking earlier, there's so much piece of the pie. You know, I'm not gonna give up my portion as a lease on or lease on company or anything like that. You ain't either. So the broker's gotta go. You know, what I mean, that's yeah. the only person. You know, and then you gotta you gotta go to the customer and say, hey, I'm not ever gonna be the cheapest, but my what I do comes with results. My name, I'm gonna send, I'm gonna have a truck there and we're gonna do what we say we're gonna do. And if we don't, we're gonna tell you we can't do it and we're not gonna send a truck in there and you don't have to worry about it, right? Whereas you wanna go cheap, you're gonna get cheap results, you know? Yeah, I agree, yeah. So um, one of the things that I love to ask everybody that comes on the show because I wanna get in, in, in your head and kind of see how you think and you're a very, I've, I've studied you now for a little bit, you're a very articulate individual. How do you approach decision-making? You know, that's something that's super important. How do you, when this, when, when problems or difficult issues or just even day-to-day, -day, you know, things happen, how does Joe approach decision-making day-to-day for your company and your, 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 uh, the way you do things? Right. Yeah. Good question. Um, honestly, the first thing I like to do when I'm encountered with an issue, problem, good or bad, right, um, is I want to look at a positive outlook on it. So I want to find the positivity in it. For example, um, let's just say, uh, I was running a lane hypothetically and maybe maybe I wasn't aware of something but I had ran that that lane a, a thousand times and got away with it right and then next thing I know I learned about it like for instance when, when um what is it called where you pay for the amount of trucks that you have every year you UCR it? UCR right I didn't know about that and I got away with it for years. Okay. <laughs> I don't mean to sidestep you but th th this that's so fucking funny you brought this up so uh, we didn't pay our UCR because we're every year we forget. And you know how we find out they, they usually stop, they stop a truck you. at the scale yeah. house. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or you can't order your permits. Right. Right. That's right. so funny that you bring that up. And we just literally uh, yesterday. Right. He's, he's going, we're going to Pennsylvania or no, we're going through Kentucky with this 18 and a half wide going to Pittsburgh from Houston. And uh, the, uh, everybody cleared all the permits, clear, 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 clear. We get to Kentucky and they're like, Oh, you didn't pay your UCR. You can't get your permits. And I'm just like, Damn, I talked because my wife handles that. I was like, but it's it's November. What the hell? Like, you know, because like, that usually comes out, I think, in what, like uh February, March or something. Mm -hmm. So I was like, what the hell? So then, you know, but then she has to go pay it, and it's you know, a thousand bucks or whatever. It ain't that much money at the size of fleet we are, you know. It's like I don't right. know, it's like 780 or something like that. But anyway, they have to update it in the system online. They won't send you any proof to, to clear with the other state. And what pisses me off is that state, I'm good in Kentucky, in Kentucky where it was. Every, all our shit is good there, but they're worried about it with another state. You know, and it's just stupid stuff like that. Or if the filing, you know, or something like that. But that's yeah. funny. We didn't pay our UCR, so we couldn't order a permit. I'm like, how does this even come up? You know? <laughs> this <laughs> well, the funny, here. 
The funny thing is, but you think about it, all the permits you've ordered, all the money you've made all year long, and then you get to this point, and then the fine normally is like what three fifty to five hundred or something yeah. like that you pay. So it's like that. That's an example. Like when you when you encounter that, the first thing I do is I look at it from a positive. I'm like, you know what? I made three hundred, four hundred thousand this year. And now finally I get to the UCR file and I got this penalty. Say, so, you know what, man, it, you know, it could have been worse. So just pay the fine and move forward. I like to rationalize everything that happens and find the positivity. And no matter how negative it is, because one thing I learned, negativity consumes way more space than positivity. You know what I'm saying? And I like to take ownership for anything that happens on my watch. I don't care who did it. I don't care how wrong it was. I allowed it. It's my fault. Because one thing I learned about a mess, if I make the mess, I know I have to clean it up. If someone yep. else makes a mess, I'm waiting on them to clean it up. And, and they may not ever clean it up, right? Yep. So I just own it. This is my house. You made a mess. Listen, I'll clean it up. Go ahead. And then one thing I know is done and I can move past it. So that's how my decision making works. I'm going to find a positive side that. of it. Yeah, and I'm going to clean it up. If it happens on my watch, it's my fault. I'll eat whatever the problem was. You keep it moving. One thing I know for sure, you won't make that mistake again because I won't let you. You see what exactly. I'm saying? And Yeah, and then we're going to move forward. I don't waste a lot of time. Um, um dealing with mistakes and blaming someone else for them. It's just, yo, let's get to it. Let's find a solution. That's why right there, why you're so successful. And I, I think we have a lot of similarities because I do the exact same thing. I don't even get mad at people anymore. I'm like, you know yeah, what? It ain't yeah. even your fault. It's my fault. Yeah. I get mad at myself for allowing this to happen. <laughs> yeah. Either I didn't give you the right tools, resources, training, or set you up for success. I did it to myself. Because yeah. people will let you down if you let them all, all the time. Everybody. It'll be your wife, your kids, anybody. If you put them in a position for failure and don't give them the right information, knowledge, whatever they need, set them up for the right thing. And, and you're a leader, which it sounds like you are. It sounds like you're a really good leader of your team, yeah. your people, you know, everything you got going on. And I, I'm the same way. And I just get mad at myself. I'm, that's how mm -hmm. I do it. Too. So that's all. Awesome hey, it's, like it's the best person to get mad at anyway. <laughs> it is. It is. It, all you're going to do, what are you going to do? You're going to talk bad. Uh, God yeah, bless I my wife. I love her to death. I don't know if your <laughs> wife's in, in, in partners with you or not, but my wife is. And, you know, she's my, I couldn't do what I do without her and be who I am, but she's uh -huh. made mistakes, but I, it ain't like I haven't, you know what I mean? And right. so it, when she makes a mistake paperwork wise or whatever, like that, we were joking about the, the, the penalty on the UCR, they've got me three, four years running. I paid that penalty every <laughs> year because we forget it. And it's just yeah. cost to do a business. And I'd be like, damn, but what am I going to do? I'm going to get mad. If I really wanted it done, I'd, 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 I'd micromanage it, put a reminder on my phone. I'd do something, right? And but I you, don't. So You know how you fix that? You just tell yourself, that goes on steak. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? And yeah. you just keep it moving. That's all you can do, really. I yeah. mean, yeah. You, can't, day, you can't bring that into the bedroom, you know? So it ain't yeah. going to work for you. Yes, so that, that's what it is, man. That, but I, I, that's that's a hundred percent why you're successful. And if anybody that's watching this is looking at like that picture I just showed on Instagram with uh, uh, his truck and equipment, you don't get to that level. You do not get to that equipment. You do not get to that level of decision making without thinking like that. That right. man holds himself accountable and and he owns his shit and he deals with it. And that's how you get it done at, at that level. So yes, sir. Um. Man, one we want to get into because this is personalizing you now, and I love to do that and actually, you know, give flowers and personalize you. But could you, who do you look up, mentor? Who do you look up resources wise? Can you recommend books, resources, influential figures? I know you said one that I've actually got a bunch of tattoos and stuff about uh, in another video, and we and uh, but who who do you look up to? Who has kind of been influencing your life? Celebrity, personal, uh, you know, book anybody that's made a profound impact in your life, your thinking. Uh, which I ultimately leads to where you're at in your career. 
Yeah, so I, I can't I can't do an interview or even answer that question on any platform without without first acknowledging my pops, man. Um, one thing he did do is he didn't speak in the time, he spoke in advance because he felt like if you made it to that point in life, then it'll make sense to you then. So to this day, I still live by things that he said to me, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and I use that as a constant reminder that, you know what, you know, I'm, I'm 42 now. So and I remember him saying something X, Y, Z to this effect. And then when I see it in real life, that conversation comes back to me now. And I look for it now because, you know, I know now from being younger and those, those times have, you know, met up with me. But just a person who um, who's outside of that inner circle of mine, um, The Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Love that book. Powerful. Um, if you haven't read it, uh, yeah, by Robert, Robert Kiyosaki. Kiyosaki Rich Dad, yeah. Poor Dad. That, that's one Go. of the first success books I read. It's a great book. You have to read it. Um, you have to not just read it. You have to dissect it, and you have to process it. Um, if you don't do that, then you'll miss the whole message because... You know, um, it was important, the comparison that he showed throughout the whole book about learning two methodologies about life. And what he mm -hmm. did smartly was he compared both and he lived probably basically still by both. And you can tell because of the way he wrote the book. Um, so I would tell anybody, definitely take some time to go and read that book. I heard about it for years before I tapped into it. Um, one of my things was that that may have slowed me down from some of the younger people was I wanted to experience life and have some uh, success and failures on my own. And then I wanted to do somewhat research. So I lived my twenties, man. Wow. Not wow. Like getting in trouble, stuff like that. But I lived it wild where I just, Hey, look, I tried this. I tried that. I tried this. I tried that. I did this. I did that. I went here. I went there because what I wanted to do is be as, as, as exploratory as I can in my twenties. Right. I want to narrow it down in my thirties. And then my method from there, when I hit my forties, go get rich. Right. And then fifties, enjoy that. 60s and 70s just enjoy it all so now i'm in that get rich stage and that was important to me so i took a slower path because i wanted to explore and see what i love and what i didn't love so i can exit out in my 30s and master what i did love and the beauty of that you know what i'm saying is when you read books like that they expedite the process so even though i goofed off and did some things in my 20s i was able to tap into stuff like that and read it um i actually had read uh, uh michelle obama book too and i listened at her process of standing behind and letting someone else lead but having so many thoughts and decisions in your mind and then you know you 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 close to that person so you do have their ear at hand but the, the importance of that was learning to be a follower before you take the leadership role because that that is what helped you prepare for that and it also helps you understand what the person that second commander you should be doing as well when you master following and then lead yourself to um to um to leadership and i didn't say that from from a political standpoint because i'm not much of a voter like that i just said that from uh people who things that i've read and uh what i gained from that when i read it and what i what i took from it my experiences of reading it that's profound, man. Two things I want to repeat. The first thing you said um, is that your, your father uh, spoke uh, not in time, but in advance. That is that is very profound and very uh, – I, I love that statement. I'm going to have to circle that back to that, probably put that at the front. But the second thing is out of that book that you got from her is uh, that, you know, you got to understand what it's like to be in the shoes of the follower before you can be the, the leader. And that is uh, – again a profound statement because that that that's that's a perfect example of like even things that i say i always say you know i never 
people always be like, I want to go into coaching and doing this. And I'm like, I wouldn't do that unless you've been there, done that. That's why right. I wanted to go to Canada. That's why I went and got my twig. That's why I went and got hazmat. That's why I went and did these things. That's why I went and did heavy all. That's why I went and did all of these things and put it on YouTube and was transparent as possible and showed every step of the process so nobody could look at me and say, hey, you're a fraud. That's that. And even to this day, I I, I, I went to seminars and spoke at events and I'll, I'll say things and I'm always thinking I have imposter, uh, what do you call it? imposter syndrome. I don't think what I'm saying is good enough. Right. Yeah. But then I'll say stuff and I watch their brains explode like boom, 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 boom. And they're <laughs> right. like, dude, it's overload. Like if you tell me any more and I'm sure you experienced the same thing, uh-huh. you know, but you still feel like, you know, what I had to say is good, but it's, is it enough? Am I, am I enough? You know, I'm always thinking I, I, I got to solve it from the top down. I got to give them the whole pie, but you can't just nuke them. You know, you got to sprinkle a little bit of information and let them take it from there. But like you said, man, you got to be a follower before you can be a leader. That is definitely a profound statement. Yeah. I appreciate Um, that. So how does Joe manage a work-life balance, man? That, uh, that's something I'm always asking because you still, you still rolling, you still trucking. And you got the big setup, you driving the big dog, 11 or 13, right? Something with 11 axle. And so, you know, you still working it and, and at, at, the, at that level, it makes sense and you're still making money. Um, but how do you manage a work-life balance? You've got a family, you know, you told me you got daughters that, you know, going to school, all that kind of thing. How does that, how does uh, Joe manage that? So one of the things was I grind real hard when I was young, right? <laughs> I did a lot of running. So what I did was um, I worked my way, of course, to heavy haul because it's not something that I have to go out and do every day anymore. Um, without the trucks running, of course, that helps balance that out. And then now with that, with the heavy haul, man, like fences last month, um, I did two loads. And, man, those two loads, um, net take home, I want to say put me somewhere around 50K. And um, so what that allowed me to do was, uh, you know, I could take the rest of the month off. You know what I'm saying? So now I'm almost an average, uh, what they call him, soccer mom. I'm a soccer dad. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Look, I pick up my kids, man. I drop them off as much as I can. Um, it allows me a lot of opportunity, man, to be home. So you got to run up that ladder as fast as you can when you get the opportunity. Because the further you get up the ladder, the rate per mile goes up. And when that go up, um, it allows you more home time. You don't have to work as much. So. Um, that's how I balance it. But when it's work, it's all work. My wife and my kids know it come first. Like I just spent a week out in Houston with the last load I did. And, uh, you know, it, it just is what it is. Um, I had the opportunity to come home, but I say, you know, nah, I'm out here for work because I'm out here for business. I've been home the last month, hadn't done much, you know, just chilled out pretty much. So, yeah, when it's work, it's work. And then when it's play, it's play. Um, my wife and I, you know, we uh we're in a transition because we have older kids and younger kids. So I have a daughter that just left for college. I have a son that graduated a couple of years ago, and I have a son that's graduating now um, this year. And then we have two younger kids. So um, I kind of got a period in between. But the older kids, what we did was we vacationed with them every other year. And then we did something locally with them on our year while we went for and did what we wanted to do. So we kind of split the years even odd and stuff like that. And then that was very beneficial because the kids got to pick locations. We gave them two foreign countries and then they can go anywhere domestically they wanted. And then that 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 spaced it out because it was every other year. So we was able to plan for those trips. And I'm going to tell you, man, one of those trips, we spun two weeks on the road. Literally, we were gone for two weeks from hotel to hotel. We went from, uh, we left New Orleans, Birmingham, Louisville, Kentucky for a family reunion. We stopped over in Detroit, my wife's hometown. We went to Toronto. Uh, We stayed over in Mississauga. We went to Niagara Falls. We went to New York, D.C. And we stayed in Jersey the whole time we were in New York. So we kind of hit both areas, D.C. And the last stop was Lookout Mountain, right? 
we got to look out mountain in Tennessee and Chattanooga, the, the kids are like, nah, keep going. We're not stopping anymore. Just keep right. going. We won't go home. So it was pretty fun, you know, and it, it was a cool experience because we did everything from touring um, um, the Capitol. We tried to get passes to get in the White House, but we, we didn't get approved at the time because it was like, I think when we applied, it was so late. Yeah, but I think you got to do that. My buddy just did that. We actually, I just went to New York, but when I, it's funny how me and you probably the same. We've been all over the country, but we never really stopped to enjoy the country. Right. Sometimes you can with a truck, but it's hard. And I've been to, through DC a bunch of times and I've always wanted to do that. But my buddy, we were talking about it. We just went on a trip to, uh, up to New York and did the city. I've been through New York a million times, never went to New York yeah. City and explored it. And I finally got to do that. But the same thing with DC, but he just went and did that. He had the same trouble. He said, you got to do that like three weeks in advance in order to make it happen. Yeah, you want to definitely be in advance um, when you do it, because if not, they won't won't approve you. And, uh, and it was cool though. We got to see the Capitol. We went to, uh, you know, we we seen all the states. We stood by states, um, you know, on the little walkway. I can't think of the name whether whether uh, the the water is in between or whatever. But it's been so long since I went. Yeah, that's where the but Lincoln anyway, memorial is and all that over there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we did that. So it was pretty cool. Um, but we had some cool experiences. The main thing is, like for us, I'm the biggest kid on the trip. Look, I'm look six o'clock in the morning. Yo, let's get up, y'all. Wake up. I'm jumping on the kids in the bed. Get up, let's go. You know. And we, man, look. I mean, I don't have the energy anymore. But we, we would leave early in the morning. And I'm, when I tell you, we didn't get back till late. And the next morning, we did the same thing again. And then we got back late. And like I tell my younger kids, I said, "Well, y'all, y'all, your older siblings got to fund me. Now y'all about to get the responsible me." <laughs> so you know. But yeah, nah, it was great, man. Because <laughs> like my wife That's and awesome, I, our vacations are different, man. Like we we go, we wake up and grab breakfast then we come back to the room we sleep through the middle of the day and then we out at night hanging out having fun doing whatever we can get into in the nightlife respectively but yeah we hanging out we want to go see that city and do what adults do you know right. so but yeah that's how i balance it man i work hard and then i play hard you know yeah that's yeah. that and, and i say that all the time when when clients call me or you know you see the 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 upset negative narrative of the down economy recession right now everybody talking about it and i say look man life's about setup you didn't set it up right and and it sounds like you had it you, you're setting it up right and you're making the plans to live life the way you want to you know even like saying taking the time to go out with the wife i'm a big proponent of that you you got to go back to why you got together in the first place it wasn't just for the kids those are secondary unfortunately you got to remember why you did you know why y'all got together fell in love whatever and you got to do that by going on date night and going out otherwise it don't in my opinion make a marriage work long term you know yeah uh -huh. yeah you um i heard somebody say you got to date your wife you know, uh, regularly, you know, um, right. once a month, y'all should go on a date. So, um, we don't get to date a lot, like the, you know, go out at night, but I do go out to, um, I take her to lunch all the time. Like yeah. whenever I'm and home, that, we go out to lunch. That's all yeah. it takes, man, is going to lunch, going to, and, and when my wife mm -hmm. or my kids in school or was in school, they're homeschooled now, but when they were in school, you know, I live by the beach, we would go get breakfast, you know, drop them off, mm -hmm. go get breakfast on the beach every, you know, at least two days a week. And mm -hmm. uh, and then come back because and it's uh, we're also business partners basically you know so we're mm -hmm. always some days we're adversaries more than we are a team you know what I mean <laughs> so that right. that little bit of uh you know that little bit of time makes all the difference yes um, sir so man let's jump into the heavy haul side of things I know everybody wants to hear that everybody wants the numbers mm -hmm. every you got the followers everybody that you know you you're you're good friends uh, actually somebody you know put your name out as far as a mentorship that it was re recently on I said that you helped them out a lot. But you seem to be definitely one of the the top heavy haul guys in the game. That's really probably um, uh, doesn't have the notoriety that you should have yet. I'm sure, like as we as we spoke off camera, that it's going to happen for you. 
and it's going to blow up and, and you definitely deserving of it. Um, but you just did a big load, right? That was the, the Houston one that you put on there. It was like, uh, 18 tall or something like that. It was a, you know, big load, a lot of service in, uh, in the load, a lot of escorts, a lot of permits, a lot of things go into a load like that. Right. Can you talk about that for a quick minute? Yeah, sure. Like sure. Goes um, into it? So, so the load specifically was uh, 117 feet and a half long um, length, and then width was uh, 1611, so you call it 17, and then the height was 19. Um, I was about 185,000 pounds on the weight, so it's considered a super load because of the height, the width, and uh, the weight doesn't really push it to super, but the other dimensions do. Um, we planned that trip for about two months. Um, Louisiana, man, is, is brutal on loads like that. So uh, it took me two months to get through that process. Um, well, once we completed it, uh, we had to go from Louisiana to Texas. Texas was easy, you know, a couple days a week or so. And then yeah, Texas um, is the best one. They're super easy yeah. on, on everything. They're like, go ahead. Exactly, man. I love they Texas. They just want the so. money. Yes, that's it. <laughs> so, and they've already built everything big anyway, right? So, right, right. But uh, so, yeah, so we, we get the process going. So um, we have to have uh, all together is about a 50-man crew. Um, all of the utility companies throughout the state who route we had to pass through, which is two different districts, um, all of the cable companies, everyone had to show up, lift their lines. It was a lot of uh, stuff that had to be done in advance, uh, working with the permit offices and things of that nature. So then when we get past that point of initial setup, we set off on our journey. You know what I'm saying? It was probably like a 400-mile trip with the outer routes, 250 straight mile, 400 outer route, uh, with outer route. And then um, we get through that. It took us a day and a half to get there. Um, when it was all said and done, um, it, 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 it ended up being a right around like a $60,000 load. And the reason why I say right around, because what happens is what people don't know what these type of loads is, a lot of these charges are put in place, um, in the end. So, you know, a lot of people, they think that they have to bid these loads correctly. It's, it's not necessarily the case. You just have to know how to structure contracts correctly in order to accomplish the goal that you're trying to get. Um, a negotiation is a negotiation for a reason. That's when you open up and say what you think and what you think is best. Um, so that's what we did, man. I worked with an awesome broker on it, who I'm not going to mention. <laughs> but um, he was real knowledgeable between he and I with my experience and his experience. We got it done. And... Um, the process went through flawlessly. Um, when it was all said and done, we invoiced, I want to say, should have been around 60. Um, and then um, what people don't realize on those type of loads, um, this is not your average broker. He has to make money too. You know, right. um, so with my broker and I, we pretty much where we at, we kind of did somewhat of a split on a load, but he covered expenses on his end. You see what I'm saying? And then he was able to take uh, whatever he was able to save. So if he was able to cut costs and get the guy for cheaper, hey, that's fine. Just give me my half and you deal with all that over there on your own. Um, a lot of expenses were upfront. So you're talking probably somewhere in the neighborhood like $20,000 worth of expenses. But, you know, people don't realize you want good people out there and you want to pay for it. You may cut corners on a load that's 12 or 12 feet, one inch wide because you're knowing you're only an inch over anyway and hire, you know, just some pilot car guy that's that's just really out there with a the radio and, and, and the car may not even make the whole trip. Right. Right. But when you, when you get to these type of loads, man, I'm telling you go out and seek the best because if you bump that load against anything, you're not getting another shot right. at all. <laughs> it's over. You know what I'm saying? So that was one of the important things for me um, to get it done. And I hired some of the best in the industry to do it. 
So another thing that, that, that is kind of like a fallacy in this industry is, is, you know, everybody, I don't know if it's because everybody online doing the heavy haul stuff or even myself, who I don't know how many of us to blame, but everybody wants to get into it. Right. I've had a few guys here lately come lease on with us that, that went out and bought equipment and they just wasn't built for the, uh, you know, oversized space. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, how in this one particularly you said the broker covered the expenses which is awesome that all doesn't always happen though but in a, in a case like where you got to front that people don't realize that you got to pay all that out those escorts don't have factoring companies like we do those uh and, and you can't get an advance to pay them and then also you know like say you got to buy permits there's no no factory companies gonna front you to pay permits right uh, some states you got to be bonded when you get into super low status, but let's just assume we're doing a, talking about a regular load, not a super load. You know, all this stuff has to be paid. A lot of the uh, escorts they want cash at Venmo, Zelle, whatever cash on on as soon as they they it reaches destination. And in our case, we got a factor or weight, or maybe we're not factoring. You're doing quick pace. Maybe you're doing you know uh, you're you're stable enough that you're just waiting on the check to come in 30, 60, 90 days, whatever. But you still got to front all that cost. So on other loads that I know you, you know, you're uh, astute enough or stable enough in your business to cover that stuff now, like we are. Um, how do, how do you manage that? Is there a line of credit for that? Is there a, you put it on a credit card, you got, you know, cash that you built up over the years. Cause people don't think about it. They think they can buy a trailer, buy a truck. And now I'm doing heavy on, I got a factoring company, and a fuel cart, but that's not going to get you the job done. Is it? No, it's not. And uh, just just one correction on the load. So the broker did not cover the whole cost. It's just going to come off his side. Um, I got what you. happened okay. was, yeah, we so we negotiated um, what I was going to pay and what he's going to pay. Um, but but either way, the cut go when the when the split breaks down. Then right. So what, sometimes what pay, they'll be yeah, like, OK, it'll... we'll cover permits or we'll cover permits yeah, and, escorts or... and you cover everything else. Or exactly. what a survey, case, like there's route yeah. surveys that go into it people don't know about yeah, and and, exactly. and each state requires that some states require bond like there's a lot more that goes into it so yeah. he, he agreed to pay x you agreed to pay x but you still had to front all of your x yeah 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 so basically to make it make a lot of sense whoever he hired is who he paid whoever right. i hire is who i paid and then that's kind of how that part broke down but now from the financial standpoint yes you have to keep money on hand because this is the thing you you know this year in heavy haul as well. Um, sometimes these loads top five grand at a time, and most of those loads, even though I do factor, I don't factor those. So right. I'll do a net thirty with those. Uh, sometimes a net forty five, where I'm waiting thirty to forty five days for the money. Um, but what happens is is that you have to have that kind of cost because if you do four loads this month and each one of them costs you five grand between pilot cost permits and that you know and all the stuff that come with a few things of that nature um you're tying up that money for 30 days and it's gone it's locked in that rate and then you know of course you have to balance it out and that's what people don't understand a lot of people are not structured properly to be able to do heavy haul they get by with it because the market allows it but when the market tightened down like it is right now and you're not structured properly you start seeing for sale size everywhere and it's simply because they're not balanced out they don't have enough flats and step decks and stuff like that in their fleet to help manage those trucks being parked for a certain amount of time or manage even when they're running full time to be able to balance out that five grand stuck in this load three grand in this load six grand in that load or the load like i just did where you might have 10 or 15 tied up in it in the time space that it takes for 30 days so a lot of people just not structured properly and that's what that was one of the things that i promoted a lot um when i first started you know talking on social media platforms you have to be structured properly in order to sustain that type of money being locked away 
Right, exactly. You and everybody thinks I can just go get a truck, trailer, you know, factory company, a fuel cart. I can go get these loads off the low board and start doing them. And there are, you know, heavy haul, oversized RGN loads on the low boards and stuff. But you have no idea what you're really getting into, and you got to front all that money. And if you ain't got it, you're gonna get halfway into it. Then what? Then you're gonna have a load hostage in the middle of the load, and you can't pay the the per, for the permits. You can't pay for the route surveys, and they they want paid up front. They won't even do. I I, I have maybe one or two companies that I'm re established with that trust us that'll go do the survey and charge us later. Most of them yeah. want the money up front. You know. Yeah, yeah, oh. and 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 it's just hiring professionals. I mean, a lot of the times, like you say, you you get the best people, man. And and when I tell you, when you've worked with them people, right. yeah, I got a guy that I can call out of up north Louisiana. Matter of fact, I might as well just plug him. He works for Vidalia uh, Marshalls with Vidalia uh, Dispatch, and um, I won't call his name specific because it's a team of them. But whatever one you get, you'll be fine with them. But one thing I like about them total professionals man when i tell you they get the job done they get the job done now i do have another pilot car that i use um on other projects smaller projects and i call them pretty consistent um but one good thing is my son he's looking to get into it so he's going to probably eventually become a pilot car guy um he'll follow me around and then when i'm not using him i'll put him with other people of course throughout the industry on top right, of my flatbed that's what a lot of the bigger companies do anyway people have asked yeah. me all the time why we haven't done it already and i'm just like i don't know man it's a whole nother headache you got to deal with and and you know those guys aren't regulated like cdl guys are we can't really force them to drug test and stuff like that so then you got another liability that's why i haven't done mm -hmm. it but you know if it's family and son it's probably somebody you could trust you know um yeah. so uh this is a good question right here right is so i i kind of consider consider anything that's like a 40 ton not really heavy haul right it'd be 30 in the well whatever more oversized i call it oversized spray because we run oversized on hot shots we'll do 15 five you know 16 18 wide pools plastic pools and stuff mm -hmm. our glass pools all kinds of wide loads that's how i started in the oversized spaces on hot shots so i kind of consider anything that's in that that range uh anything that's really even like, uh, you know, under, if you're 80,000 and under, you're not really heavy haul, right? If, if That's legal, right? So even really like under 100,000 pounds, you're not really heavy haul, you're like permitted, but you're really just oversized, right? You're not really uh, heavy haul freight at that point. Um, and when we talked off camera about you having a, a smaller trailer than the setup you have now when you started, so super loads aside, like if anybody don't know what it is, super loads, like anything really over probably about 16 wide, 16 tall, uh, and then, you know, plus a hundred and I mean, what do they consider? 130,000. No, not even. Yeah. Right around 130, probably super low. Right. So how long did you stay in, the, in, in, and get your, your stripes in at the, you know, 12 wide, the 13 wides, the 14 wides, you know, the 15 talls, stuff like that, doing that stuff before you ever thought about taking a big load, like this super load you're just talking about. Um, so honestly, like, so I had done oversized my whole career. The first time I ever did an oversized was 2003 um, with a company called Dallas and Mavis. Um, good company. Um, didn't really do much training. Like they just kind of put you out, put me out there back then anyway, with the terminal I worked out of. But um, when I went to uh, Landstar in 2005 is when they kind of sit you down in a classroom and they teach you everything you need to know about trucking. Um, so that was a great experience for me. Um, and Landstar still does a lot for me now. Like I don't have what I have without Landstar because I'm always able to put them on an application when I'm applying for something. Who do you work for? Who do you get your freight from? I work for Landstar. I could have not done one load that whole year for them. But when I put their name on it and they called them to verify, they look at my track record and see how long back I work for them and the fact that they train me, you know, and they vouch for me every time, man. So hats off to them, salute to them. Um, 
but anyway, yeah. So um, I did that for years. Um, with the flatbed, I had no desire to move up into heavy haul. Just be honest with you. What forced me to move up is when my authority took the hit that it took that we talked about earlier. Then at that point, I knew I needed to get a trailer that was more in demand than just a flat or a step. I needed a trailer where they needed me just as much as I needed them. And back then, it was a rare space. It wasn't a lot of people getting in it. Those who were doing it were doing it. So um, I would say um, probably uh, I did it for years, all the way up until like 16 or 17. And then at that point, that's when I say, you know what, let's let's go heavy haul. Let's get a trailer that's in demand. And then from there, um, I've always pushed the limits. So I've never stayed in the limits. Even with the flatbeds and step decks, I've always done the oversized. Um, what I did learn was it's a world of a difference, though. When you oh, run yeah. an oversized, just oversized, Right. It's nowhere near the same and being overweight as well. The permits are different. The cost is different. Right. The calculations are different. So um, it was still a learning curve, even when I did switch over from just doing oversized, even though it might have been super tall and super wide. When you start adding miles in it, you start adding a whole lot more out of route, too, for bridges yeah. that you can't cross. Look, I make you laugh. I went through a bridge in, uh, in, your, in uh, Arkansas, your home state. Yeah. And they send you right up uh, the coast right outside of Oklahoma. Whatever that path is, going straight north, like going toward uh, Fayetteville and all that. Yeah, up uh, forty nine. Yeah, forty nine. It's something called Debt something Debt Debt whatever it's called. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> not Death Valley, but you're talking about uh, uh, some, the path, yeah, yeah, some cave area, like uh, it's kind of like a Hell's Kitchen type of. Uh, I know what you're talking about. Term, it's yeah. Like, I'll think of well, it here in a second. Yeah. Well, it's a flat bridge, right? This is flat, but when you get over yeah. that bridge, you're looking down hundred plus feet. Right. But the tonnage on the bridge is like 20 tons. Right. <laughs> and a like, lot of that in Arkansas, Oklahoma yeah. area. You're doing yeah, a lot right. of outer route in those two states. Oklahoma right. hates uh, heavy haul and, and super lows like Virginia does. They just, they're not happy when you got to go through there. Yeah. Oklahoma sent you up 259. Yeah. No service for like five hours. But yep. going through going through Arkansas, yeah, you go over this bridge and it's like 20 ton. And they like, yo, block off the bridge and don't let nobody else on that witch. And I'm thinking to myself, I guess y'all just want me to die alone, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> so you, you go through some stuff, some cool experiences, man. But anyway, that that's what that's what oversized, overweight, uh, a heavy haul is about, man. You gotta take some chances out there, you know. But yeah. uh, I love it, man. I wouldn't trade it for nothing in the world. Yeah, I mean, it takes a certain type of. We were talking about this too off camera. It takes a, mm -hmm. a certain type of resourceful person to yeah. do, you know, uh, and like I've done it, you know, but the Benny's, and that's why we were giving Benny his flowers too, because he's like 27 years old and he's out here getting it with the best of them doing these big, you know, the silos and stuff. I'm like, damn, man, I don't know if I'd have, I, I mean, I had some balls when I was 27, but when you do that first one, I know, because he was talking about it on the channel. He was like, hey, I got this trailer. I'm just going to do it. I ain't doing these mm -hmm. baby loads no more. He just jumped into it. That's awesome. So not everybody yeah, is built like that. Yeah. Not everybody's built like that to do that. They want they think they see the money, and everybody thinks it's a get rich quick scam. But like I asked him, like I asked why they don't give that money away, do they? <laughs> nah, not at all, man. You got to know what you're doing, man. Yep. You you know, and when you get that one shot, yo, don't mess it up. Yep. You can't mess up, man. And it ain't even that. It's the one. It's the two. It's the three. You got to. You get a lot of at bats. And you got a short window. Uh, and it's not that you can't mess up because you can mess up anything. I mean, I've messed up. We flip low, you know, lows. I've had guys I haven't personally, thank God, knock on wood, messed up, crashed, done anything in my career ever. Thank God. Actually, I say that and I was pulling a wide load. I hate to even say this on camera because I always try to have like a perfect record. But I took a mirror off <laughs> this year on an old man's truck. He got close. And I was pulling a combine and it just think 
<laughs> the wheel there, the the, the spindle, because they had duels, but they had the outsides off. And it just tinked his mirror and I and, and broke his mirror all the crap and I had to buy a mirror. But that was the first time in my career ever, 10 years, you know, being on the road and stuff that I ever had anything come close like that to happening. But man, I wish happens. I you can same. make a mistake, but you gotta <laughs> remedy it and you can't make it early in your career. You know what I mean? Yeah, I tell you what, man, my, my one uh blunder, for real blunder. Um, I was going through Mississippi years ago when I first first jumped in heavy hall and I had an over high load. I did two of these. The first day I did the exact route, went through the fuel station. You know, you know, some of them got an open top fuel lane and the right. rest is covered. Right. So I told myself, I'm not going to fuel here. I turn off one road and you make a quick, immediate right. So you turn left and make a quick right. I made that left. My phone ring. It's my wife. I answer that phone. And my mind tell me distracted. Stop and get your fuel. And I, and then when I went through the lane that was covered, as opposed to the open top, I said, wait, stop. You already say you're not getting fuel. Went straight through the lane, and then the front part passed. The rear of the trailer, there was a big old hitch by the inch wide, steel metal. Man, when I tell you that canopy came with me, it came with me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But hey, you know, it happens, man. It like, happens. I, tell, I tell my wife now, nah, you better not call me ever again. <laughs> right? That's how you be wanting to do it. But look, Wait, it, was a, listen, that... it was a one-minute phone call, because right after right. I hit that canopy, she was gone. All right, babe, I'm going to let you focus. Exactly. Oh, really? You just sitting here with your head <laughs> in your hands, like, man, yeah, man, man. yeah. 30k, yeah. man. 30k. <clears throat> I told my insurance company, I said, Y'all gave them suckers 30,000 for that. I said, I could have put some nails in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man, I I could go on stories for days about stuff like that too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man. So uh, I'm gonna pull this back up just because I want to ask that question. Mm -hmm. I mean, let me share my screen real quick. I gotta do that first. Um so you share. So this uh this truck, what I, I know what these cranes weigh because I've done them, but uh what can you scale on equipment like this? You got eleven total axles on the ground, okay? Uh what what kind of how heavy of a load can you put on that trailer with that equipment set up like that? Okay, so right now I don't have any deck inserts in there as just standard, so I'm probably somewhere around sixty-five thousand pounds empty. Um, each state will determine what you can handle, right? Right. So if you look at the rear, on the, let's start from the back to the front. The Stinger, you can normally get forty thousand, but you probably won't get that much back there, right? Um, on the three axles, you can go twenty, twenty, and twenty, so you'll get about sixty. So that's somewhere around a hundred thousand on the rear, Permanent. and then uh. Permitted, yeah. And then right. on my Stinger, I can go 40 again. But actually, I think uh, in Louisiana, if you got the 12 foot spread or more, you can actually do 48,000. Okay. But then they'll cap you sometimes based on your overall weight, which means they may say, okay, if you're over 150,000, you can only put 40 on there. So each state is, is regulated different. So let's just go with the 40 methodology. So then I will go 40 there, 40 on the truck. And then I'll take and compensate for my steer. Now, normally with that setup, I don't need the 11th axle. Um, but at times, I have to use it to balance the weight. So right. technically, with my setup, I don't need Like in Oklahoma, axle. for instance, they would require you to have it, I think, if you're going through I have there. to have it down. Yeah. yeah. And if you have yeah. it, it has to be down. Right. Right. So, um, so yeah. So that's kind of how that works. So with that being said, I can get upwards to almost 200,000 pounds, if not slightly over. Um. And now, now that's on the trailer, or is that total? Because people want to, people don't know when they hear that number. Oh, you're is talking that about payload. truck, trailer load, everything, or is that the load by itself? Yeah, so payload, uh, you're talking 130 or less is what I right. want. Um, and if you're talking um, overall gross weight, yeah, you're talking 200. Um, I think there may be one state I can probably get up to 210. 
you know, with right. my actual configuration. So, um, so yeah, but payload, I want to stay under 30 and I don't run 130 on, on the standard deck. I'll do it on a beam. So when I swap out my deck for the beam, I'll run 130 on it. On my standard deck, I'm really not looking to be over 122. Uh, if it's a real, real short load, I might go 125. Right. And then Halo. some trucks have a, a heavy front steer axle and some don't. So mm -hmm. I don't know if yours does or not, but I've not really ran into a set. And you might have, I don't know, but I haven't been in a situation like what your equipment, like what you have, where I've been heavy enough to make it count that I needed that big, heavy front end. You know, right. usually you're pushing it back, further back, further back to get it out on the on the rear of the trailer and the, the equipment. Yeah, um, so uh, my setup, honestly, and I'll say this even the guys with the 20K front axle, more often than not, you're not getting more than 15,000. I got a 14,000-pound right. steer, so honestly, I'm only giving up 1,000 pounds. Um, right. from them the one axle that hurts me the most um is my tag axle on the truck because when i'm running a um when i'm running a um a eight axle setup that's when i rely on that axle the most so i really need to bump that to a 20k but my issue with going to a 20k what it is um i kind of like it being steerable and um once you go steerable with the 20k man it's i don't know it's just something Something that's just is just not right with it. Like I don't like the steerable on the twenty k, so I kind of like the fourteen thousand pound axle. It works better for me that way. I'm thinking about going up to three fifteen where I can get more um, payload on the actual tires, the low rating. And then if I do that, then I can probably balance out those axles and get them somewhere around fifty seven max, fifty eight thousand, as opposed to where I'm at right now with twenty twenty and fourteen. So right. I'm at fifty four, and I could probably get it to fifty seven or fifty eight. And without getting too technical, because like me and you can sit here and I hear those numbers, I already know what it is. You you can spit them off like the top of your head, just like anybody that's really in the game at the level that you're at. But for someone who that sound like Chinese, right? Well, they're, they're watching this, they're doing flatbed, they're doing step deck. Because there was a time I thought it was Chinese. I was like, man, what the fuck are they talking about, right? So how how difficult is it from your perspective to manage which states you can hold? Like like say for instance. You're like I had this happen. I was taking a load from uh from from, from the port out in Virginia to California, right? And mm -hmm. the way I was set up and and how much I was scaling, I couldn't go through Oklahoma with the setup that I had. I had to go around Oklahoma, right? Mm -hmm. So to, to and that's just one state that I referenced. But there's a lot of every state is different. How annoying is that to learn that to get to the level you are now? Which state does what? And then you can't even memorize it. You have to go like, oh, we're doing this load. Okay, let me look up each state again real quick so I know <laughs> which route I'm going to take. Because I have you have to submit your routes you know, to your <laughs> permit company or if you're doing it yourself to the states. You have to handle all that. So everybody that wants to get in this heavy haul oversized game and be with the big dogs, you can't. this can't be Chinese. It can't be Spanglish. you got to know this like a second language. Right. So how annoying is that to you and – I mean, the learning curve, you getting into it, you know, learning all those different states and learning how to find the information, how to deal with that, how to handle that. That's a lot, isn't it? No, it is a lot. And and you're right. In the beginning, it is Chinese. It's, it's Chinese or Greek or something. Pick one, right? right. Um, but but honestly, what, what, I, what I learned to do early on was um, to slow myself down and just start studying it. So when you have time off, you're in between looking at loads, take an hour out of your day sometime and just start studying um, what states require. Get a permit book um, that gives you some regulation on each state. But I'm going to say this, too. What a lot of people don't think about demographically where you live will determine um your process to learn the information that you're trying to learn so let me show you why that matters okay so i'm in louisiana right i'm in the middle almost the middle of the map i'm more east 
but I'm still somewhat the middle of the map. So I run a lot of the states that's in the South, and then I go up through the Midwest a lot, right? So what that allowed me to do is learn all the states in between. But because I'm in Louisiana, I go East sometimes as well as I go West. When you're on the East Coast, you tend to think East Coast, all the rules, regulations, and you never touch the Midwest or the West. And then when you finally do it, you know, you're looking at a situation like you have to learn so much. Well, for me, New Orleans feed the Midwest, some of the South, and then some of the West because of the ports that is, is, is uh, positioned by. Houston feeds the Midwest and the West, okay? We get their fall off freight. Okay, then you have the East Coast, Florida, things like that that feed the East Coast, Baltimore, all these ports, Savannah, Blunt Island, all these places. So what that has allowed me to do, because my freight selection has, has sent me to all these different directions, I had to learn it quicker and I got more familiarized with it. So I can tell you off the top of my head, all the neighboring states, what they require and stuff like that. I do refresh on it from time to time, but at the same time, because I run it so often, it's afforded me the opportunity to learn it quicker. So I would say for my East Coast people, yo, when you get time, learn about the states in the middle, because I'll give you an example. You, you brought up Oklahoma, okay? But you cannot permit in Oklahoma a load over 90,000 pounds if you don't have a 90,000 pound plate. You see what I'm saying? A lot of people don't know. I actually learned that the hard way. I made a TikTok yeah. about it. It went viral because every fucking heavy hauler in the world commented and was like, yeah, you're an idiot. But I said, <laughs> I went in there and was like, this, this is a funny story. I'm, I'm going to tell it real quick and then you can go. That That's funny that you brought that up because I learned it the hard way, right? Mm -hmm. So one of my guys goes in there. I sent him through and I bought the permit. You know, everything, we're good. DOT officer pulls him in. Permit's no good. You got to pay fine. You got to do this, blah, 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 right? I'm like, so I get on the phone with her and I'm like, this makes no effing sense, right? And right. I'm like, I have a, uh, she's like, you can't be on the uh, the, uh, the interstate system with a permit. It says it right on the bottom of the permit. If you didn't know, we just, I guess we missed that part. It says that the cab car must be maxed out in the state in order for the permit to be valid. And right. I, she said, you're not registered at 90,000 pounds. I said, no, I'm not. I'm registered at 80,000 pounds or whatever. I think it's 90, it's either 90 or 98 or something. And each, each state can let you go like, Maine's 120 or something, 115. Nebraska's like 110. They're all different levels. They got to be maxed out on your IRP cab car. So I didn't know this. She goes, we're arguing back and forth. She says, you can't do this, blah, blah. I said, yeah, but that's why I bought a permit. I, ha I, got, a, I got a permit <laughs> to run through your, your MF and state. I paid you yeah. all the money. I'm good. Uh -huh. She said, no, you ain't good. I said, she said, your permit ain't no good. I said, yeah. why the hell did you sell it to me? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so we're going back and forth. <laughs> And basically, I made a TikTok about it, and and I like, you know, I got trolled, but I don't care. I left it up; it's still out there. Because sometimes when you look stupid, it's a learning curve, and everybody gets a good laugh out of it. But that was a thing I did not know, and we learned it, and then we had to go update all our cab cars for the whole, you know, across the countries and all the states that we went to. But again, we stay like you, you know, I, we stay like Texas to the Carolinas, Michigan to Florida, and we just stay in that zone. We know that zone, and, and we run it. But when you get out of your zone, states have everything different goes wrong. Everything yeah. goes, yeah, it's all different. Hey, look, so when they came, when you came on that little box that say, um, do you have a 90,000 pound plate? Of, I mean, uh, above 80,000 pound plate, you you click, you click that, uh, little, little, yeah, <laughs> that I think that's yeah. what happened, that's but what we happened. didn't have it. So, <laughs> I, I can't, I don't think she, I don't remember if she gave us a ticket or we had to just go get mm. the plate up real quick, but she held the truck until it was all sorted. But I can't remember, it's been like, I don't know, two years ago or something. But that one went pretty viral. I think I got like 200,000 clicks on that thing.
yeah, nah, nah. I mean, hey, sometimes, like you say, looking bad is looking good because you get some hits, man. So, but yeah, nah, that's what it's about, man. You got to learn your areas, go through them. Um, I had heard horror stories about going up 259 in Oklahoma. And I was like, you know what? I, I, I took an Oklahoma load. I said, you know what? I'm going. Man, when I went through there, I was like, man, you talking about hard pulling? And you say Oklahoma don't like trucks? I believe yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, nah, they tried to kill my truck out there, man. But I said, you know what? On the way back, I talked to this old timer, and I said, man, you know what? I'm going to get that auxiliary transmission. And yeah. uh, he said, he said, well, fella, he said, you know, I drove trucks a long time. I said, yeah, but I said, but I need them 500 gear ratios. He said, yeah. He said that'll work. He said that'll buy you about five more minutes of before you overheat anyway. <laughs> <laughs> man, he said you go overheat anyway. But <laughs> he ain't lying, man. He ain't yeah. lying. But, 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 you know, you learn these things, man. You, you know, trial and error has been the best teacher to uh, a lot of us. Um, like you said, with your experience with Oklahoma and other states, um, just my experiences as well, man. But um, all in all, study, the, study those maps, go on their websites, study their rules and regulations. And while you're on there, start your own account. Stop using all these permit agencies. And I'm not knocking them, but what I am saying is $33.00. $35, 50 for a comp data for every state is ridiculous. Now, if they want to drop them prices to $15, $15 a state, I understand. But the reality is you as a driver are doing all the math. You're doing all the measuring. Everything. You're doing all the calculating. You're spending all the money for the scales, the measure axles. And then all you're doing is handing them the numbers and they're going in there and typing it in and charging you anywhere from $30 to $50. They're robbing us like the truck drivers are overpaying for everything. And yep. a lot of people just do it willingly and they don't realize for the people like myself who took the time to learn, you're kind of making it harder on us because when you got one agency that's doing things in mass numbers and then you got this one person who's considered a problem because he want to do it himself and save money, then what happens is you become the problem of the industry. You see what I'm saying? Because well, why are you doing it when everybody else is using this? So just master your craft, man. That's my advice to everybody from learning states, learning permits, learning the trucking industry. Master your craft and don't be afraid to exert it when you do master it. You save a lot of money and you gain a lot of experiences too. Yeah, 100%, man, 100%. That's going to be the, the probably the last follow-up question. I do want to capitalize on that uh, the the permits though too also and like what that looks like but yeah man so and uh you talked about uh the the permit companies a lot of people don't know what that is again that's chinese but for us because we've done it both ways like you said try to save that money and it is a lot of money it does add up i mean last year when we were doing a ton of oversized stuff i uh the year the years prior i've always used either a permit wizard or wsc permits and we had so much volume because we do it oversized on the hot shots all the way through the flatbed step decks to the RDNs that it was just too cumbersome for my wife or just my operations team to handle. But we paid them so much money. They sent us a nice little gift at the end of the year between the two of them. <laughs> um, and, and they were happy with it. And we were happy with it. But again, we tried the other way and we did it where we serviced it to the states. And I had an in-house operations per person that did that weekly. And it does save a lot of money where you can almost hire that person full time. And then when they're not doing that, you can have them doing other things. But it is it, it, there's a learning curve there also. So when I'm teaching oversized to people in the beginning, I'm like, hey, go get you a permit service. Let them handle it because you don't have no clue what the hell you're talking about or doing. And, you know, you need to you need to figure it out, whether it be hot shot or if you just went out a 40 ton, you know, low boy or a, a flatbed step deck. But so from your experience and what you're saying you do now is you pretty well handle it yourself, right? Yeah, so um, I learned it in stages, just like what you're speaking of. I learned heavy haul and, and, and um, portioned it out to permanent agencies. Um, what I learned real quickly was um, I wanted to get away from that. 
um, because what happened was I ended up doing it in Louisiana specifically for like a long period where I would go drive out to Baton Rouge and pick up. They used to sell you like a little paper that you handwrite and it was like $10 a page. And then when I learned, I'm like, whoa, so you mean to tell me all the stuff that they've been asking me on the phone? Basically, I'm doing all the work and just fill and they're filling out a paper and right. submitting it. So then when I learned that, I was like, you know, so I could do this. So then um, what happened was most of the states you run through, permanent agencies have already started you an account. So you end up having an account. You're just not the one that's controlling it. So I started reversing all of that and, and, and uh, controlling my own accounts. The two states that took me the longest to gain access, well, three states that took me the longest was Florida um, because I just hadn't did a Florida permit. And then Tennessee was one of the toughest. And then Ohio was tough because yeah. at the time, the insurance company that I had had a 500-mile radius. Now, what that meant was I can go outside of that radius, but I had to stay in it within, I think I was like 85 or 90% of the time. Right, the I had time. to be in my radius, yeah. So they wouldn't do anything that helped me go out of my radius. Right. And in Ohio, they make you fill out a form in right. order to operate in Ohio. So I couldn't get that state. Now I'm with a major company, one of the biggest in the industry, um, A++ rated, and uh, they're, they're tops. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm with them, and they'll, 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 they'll get me in wherever I want to go. Um, like my next move, I'm looking to go across the board and do a little Canadian freight as well. Yeah. And uh, that's next on my list. Um, we need a little more space, man, with the trucks we're running, and, and that's, that's one of the ways we're going to gain it. Um, yeah, holler so, at me when you're ready to do that, man. I got to connect for that, and uh, we've done some stuff already going over there, and it ain't, it ain't that bad. Everybody thinks it is, but it ain't. Yeah, well, I'm definitely, I'm looking into it, so we definitely can talk off camera and, and, yeah. and get get caught but up. Yeah, on for that. sure. The the Ohio is a pain. Ohio is a pain in my ass <laughs> yeah. every day. It seems like, man. And I'm actually yeah. born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, until I was about 13, and then I we moved or. I was about 11 actually when we moved to Arkansas, and I pretty well finished growing up over there. So I always say I'm from Arkansas, but I'm was born in Cleveland, Ohio, right outside okay. the city, actually, in a little town outside of Lorraine called Elyria. You, you've probably been through there on 90, but mm -hmm. uh, or going that way. But California is a pain in the ass, too. Uh, and then Pennsylvania, man, they just, you know, it, it, that's, that's a good example of, uh, and you were talking about, you know, the permit companies doing it for you. Uh, some people don't even know that, like, with, when you get into the super low status, the some of the states, for instance, Pennsylvania, they won't let a permit company do it on your behalf. You have yeah. to do it. You, like mm -hmm. they, they just won't accept it. Like, no, nah, we'll let them do other shit, but they can't mm -hmm. do it once it reaches super low status. Accountability. Yeah. Right. That's and then what you got to be, you got to be bonded and the other form, a whole bunch of other paperwork. But then also people think I'm going to go get a trailer, right? Let, let's just say I'm a new guy. You give it. The last question is what would you tell for some new people getting in the industry? And everybody's like, Oh, Oh man, Joe's the, 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 the king of the, the, the heavy haul shit. I'm gonna do what he's doing or, or C1 or Watt or, you know, a, a Benny or any of these guys. Right. And I'm going to go get a truck. I'm going to go get a trailer. I'm going to start doing oversight, right? I'm going to do heavy oil. They don't even know. And, and, and what's your recommendation to tell them what to do or what advice would you give to them? But they don't even know you go to get set up in these states like you did back in the day. It ain't like I'm going I'm to buy this or get this load on the load board, book it or whatever, and then go do the load. Sometimes you might be two weeks to a month before you can even get set up to haul that load through that state. Right. You know, once you're set up, you can get the permits, right? And and even like Tennessee, they just hired a bunch of people. But man, I, I've I've sat at the border of Tennessee for four freaking days because yeah. they just like, all right, and there's no there's no phone you can call. They just send an email. That's all they got. Hey, we, there's nobody to call. There's nobody to answer the phone. You submitted your permit, and it's hurry up and wait. Yeah, that's it. You know? Um, so I would tell you would give to a, 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 a I guess they don't have to be younger, but anybody getting in the game 
that is going to go get some equipment, flatbed, step deck, RGN, heavy haul, whatever. What advice would you give them right now if you're telling them, you know, this is this is what you should be doing and how to approach it, decision making wise and stuff like that? Um, this, this is what I say to that. Um, I would tell people that heavy haul is the pinnacle of trucking. It's the only um, industry or only niche in the industry that you can take one load and make over a million dollars off of. Right. Right. So they shouldn't look to expedite that process. I think that there's a a, a, a a set of steps that you have to climb before you get there. So lose that expectation that you're going to just jump in and do that. And I know there have been people that has jumped in and did it, but they've done it with a lot of help. Trust me. Mm -hmm. um, so with that being said, understand that I look at the trucking industry just like a game of poker. Right. I don't play poker because I'm looking to get rich or I love the money. I play poker because I love the game and money is the prize. You see what I'm saying? Right. Um, master the process and the money will come with it. Um, anytime you put anything else in front of that, man, I'm telling you, you're cheating yourself. If you chase the money in any industry, you're going to get the money. But how long will you hold on to it? You see what I'm saying? I've always focused on the process. So if you do that, I don't care where you start. If you start with chemicals, dump trucks, dry vans, reefers, I mean, whatever you start with, master the process and watch and see in the long run the fruits of your labor what will happen and when i say master don't just get in and say okay um they say i have to do this and that's enough no understand compliance don't just get in and say they say i need to keep records so you just scribble some stuff on a piece of paper when i did my first safety audit you know what i did i was 30 minutes late late to the audit I did a load and it pushed me 30 minutes out. The guy was blowing me up who's doing my audit. And I told the guy, I said, man, chill out. I got it all on the computer. We're going to go through it like this. He said, oh, really? He said, well, you better go through it like this since you're telling me to chill out. When I showed up, he had scheduled two hours for me to do my interview. When I left, we still had an hour to spare. And I got that 30 minutes late. Hmm. But everything that he told me he wanted to see, I typed it in and it popped up. Show me your last MCS 190 update. Show me this. Show me your accident report. Show me the documents where you fill this out. Show me this. Let me see your logs. Most of that time was spent him flipping through my old school paper logs. We laughed and joked so much that I knew for sure. I gave him, they only wanted, uh, I want to say three months of logs. I gave him about six months to a year of logs because I had one or two missing. And I said, well, if he find these one or two logs in his stack, because I didn't have time to do it because I got there late. But if he find these one or two logs in his stack, I guess I'm busted. So right. I'm just saying, you know, focus on the process, man. Master the process and you'll be surprised what the results you'll end up with. Um, but if you chase the money, hey, I'm not here to tell you don't do it that way. Only thing I'm going to tell you is don't expect longevity when you do it that way. Man, that, hey, that's that again, you know, you just hit you hit the nail on the head every time I ask you a question, man. That's how you know this guy ain't playing around. He's been in the game. He knows his shit because, you know, even Watt said the same thing. Nobody wants to respect the process anymore. Everybody wants yeah. to get rid. Everybody wants to be like you said at the pinnacle right now, and it's not possible. It's just not. You, you're not gonna not know shit about trucking and go buy the setup that this man has that we just showed and just jump into this shit. You're not. And if you do. You, it ain't going to be long lived. You're not, it's just not, it's not possible. I don't think yeah. it is. I, do you think that, not, that if you take yourself back to day one and just like, here's, here it is, have fun, go start a business, do this low 60,000. You think you could just do it day one? Just got your CDL fresh out of CDL school? Nah, I'm not, I'm not even ready. I could have. 
Yeah, growing up like- in trucking, I, I had been around it all my life, but I wasn't ready. Like people don't even realize I got a guy up in front calling out calls, sometimes two and three and four lights ahead, power lines, etc. And he'll tell he's telling me, yo, Joe, zigzag this light, make sure you're in the left lane, turn that curve, zigzag around these cars, go all the way around between cars two and three. You see what I'm saying? We got police out there moving around. You have bucket trucks flying around you on the left, flying around you on the right. Nah, man, it, it takes a certain set of patience, a certain set of calm. I got a rear pilot car calling out to me. My son's following behind us in one of my trucks because he has boards and diesel and right. stuff like Support. that. Right. Yeah. You know, so I got 50 it took people you two out months here. to facilitate getting ready to move this piece. You know what I mean? That, exactly. that, that, that It's like, come on, man. You just ain't going to get to this level without putting but, your time in and earning your stripes. But one more thing, too. And then it's to improvise. Even though I had a pilot car run a route survey for me. By the time we made it to one of the intersections, they had cones in the road and they had parked the emergency vehicle with the thing telling people to veer left. Okay, we had to improvise. So we had to go through a parking lot, jump over a curve. But because I had blocks already, knowing that this could happen, we were able to go through it flawlessly. So, you know, you can plan for everything and still things go wrong. And that's when experience kicks in, man, because when you panic, yo, it's over already. It's a wrap. You know what I'm saying? Once you panic, it's too late. You know? Um, Yeah, so... Take your time. Yeah. 100%, man. So that, I mean, you guys heard it right here, man. This guy, I'm I'm glad we were able to do this. Again, I appreciate you so much for coming on, man. Huge inspiration. I'm going to go follow all your shit now and look at all of it. Because, (laughs) man, this guy, he's got the gems, man. And, uh, again, I can't thank you enough for coming on here to talk trucking with us. Hopefully we can do this again uh, in in the near future. And, man, you you know, tell them where they can find you at. um, And I'll throw that on the front. So that way they can come, uh, you know, get do a deep dive on what the hell you got going on because you you got something to say and they need to listen. Yeah, so check me out on uh, IG right now. I go by Heavy Hard Giant and uh, all either Joe Gip. Joe Gip is J O E G I P P, all one word, and then uh, the Heavy Hard Giant or not the but Heavy Hard Giant on IG. Um, I'm not big on posting on most of the other social media networks, but what I will say is I do have something big coming up within the next year, so y'all might want to lock in. Because I guarantee the whole industry will want to be a part of it, no matter what part of the industry you're in, from brokers to truck drivers, hot shot, you name it, everybody is going to want to be a part of it. 100%, man. 100%. Well, again, I thank you for coming on. So, uh, you know, what's next, man? You're going bigger and better. You're going to get the big, big, big stuff. I mean, you're already doing big stuff, but you're going <laughs> bigger and better from here, right? I mean, that's what, that's yeah. the goal always, right? Yes, sir. Looking to expand my company as well as I want to go with a perimeter probably next. Um, that perimeter will probably be a 13 axle setup. And uh, I want to get into that well over 200,000 pound industry. And uh, it costs money, man. Those trailers are 800,000 easily, you know, so huge investment, but it's not one I haven't made before. Uh, Huge investment wise. My last trailer was a quarter of a million. So, and that wasn't including the truck. So I had a half a million dollars set up with a half a million dollar line of credit. So it was three more, you know? Right. And then just level up from there, man. Well, you're making all the right choices. You're making all the right decisions. I'm excited to see what you got going on. I'm excited just, just to have, you know, the opportunity to do this and sit down and, and, uh, and I'm going to keep following you, man, and see where you're going. Yeah. Uh, So, but again, I appreciate you, man. You guys know what it is. Uh, you know, no bullshit podcast. This has been a, uh, a really inspirational, insightful, uh, episode, man. And we're going to have, we got more coming Add whatever you want. What you got? One more thing before you go, man, you, you mentioned a lot of my, uh, my coworkers, man. 
uh, different companies, but you know, we all out here fighting the same struggle. Shout out to Wed, Hasha Benny, and C1. Um, shout out to my guy Elliot taking flight. A lot of these guys out here fighting that struggle every day. A lot of the other guys out there. Shout out to my lovely wife and my children. And of course, I'm happy to be on your channel. Support, show love, pass through, and drop gems. Thank you for having me. Yo, check this guy out, man. He the man, bro. Appreciate you. Yeah, we'll definitely do it again. Hopefully, we have all those other guys too, man. Go tell everybody you know. Uh, ask yeah. them how their mom and them's doing and get them on the channel, man, so we can get the uh, the content to the people that need it because I think that they see this and think it's a get-rich-quick scam and, and, and the generals are here to tell them, you can get here, but not overnight. And, and I just, I just yeah. love everything that you said. Um, oh, the one last thing I wanted to say, I'm going to end with this quote because I'm going to take this quote. I'm going to just <laughs> put it in quotes. Joe Gibb everywhere on Instagram going out now. I pay yeah. cash for my personal life and I finance my business. What does that mean to you? Hey, listen, uh, uh, investments cost money when you borrow money. So you want to be making money with it. And if you're not making money off it, why are you paying taxes on it? You know, I, I don't pay interest on things that don't make me money. You know what I'm saying? So that was, that's, that's the, that's the heart and soul behind that quote, man. Stop paying taxes on or interest or whatever you want to call it on things that's not making you money. Save that for money making investments, you know? hundred percent. Well, man, we're going to end on that. Pay cash for your personal life and finance your business, man. All right. We'll catch you guys again. Thank you for tuning in and uh, tune into the next one. Salute.